started at least a year after me and will finish about three years before me. Um, so, um, Ed, and I just want to play test three because we have a, a student WhatsApp group. And those of us that are not in Oxford all the time and not based in college all the time, there are frequent questions about A, translating Oxford University language, which it does have its own language, um, and um, mostly based in Latin. Um, so Ed, if somebody asks, well, what does this mean? Ed is always able to give the answer. And if one of us hasn't got a clue what, where we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing, or what's going on, Ed will also very patiently and graciously give the answer several times over if needed. Um, so he's a, a great asset to the uh, university cohort. Uh, and I'm going to pray for you now, if that's all right. Thank you very much. And, uh, and we'll hear what you have to say. Lord, I thank you for Ed. Thank you for bringing him here safely this morning for those traveling mercies and a smooth journey. Lord, thank you for the words that you have laid on his heart for us to hear. And may they be your words. Anoint him by your Holy Spirit that he would speak clearly uh, Lord, take away any natural nerves that he may feel, that he may know your presence, and that we, through him, will really understand more of you and deepen our walk with you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Rachel. Uh, I don't think I can live up to that, that expectation now. I'm going to be uh, self-assessing uh, whenever I put a message into the group chat. Yes, uh, so I'm Ed. I'm at Regents. Um, I'm currently about halfway through my degree um, doing a little bit of church work on the side in a church in Oxford, as well as a lot of work uh, liaising with the college and the student body there. It's been a real privilege to join you today, uh, and even more so to preach and to join you for communion. I want to introduce you to three people. Sasha is 15. Since he was two years old, he's been in a wheelchair. He likes school very much and is really interested in everything internet. He studies remotely at a Ukrainian school and was looking forward to having a well-deserved vacation. When the war broke out in his city of Kyiv, along with his family, he fled to Poland. His mother said, there is no place on earth we cannot leave to make our son's life easier. We were able to take a few pictures from our home, but the rest is in our hearts and in our heads. Yara has loved sewing since she was a child. Her mother taught it to her when she was a baby. I never knew it would become such a useful skill. Originally from Syria, she then moved to Lebanon and studied embroidery at a self-help group. She now makes uh, garments and sews uh, to help the refugees from her country. When talking about her five children and her husband, she reflects on the past two years we, are a close -knit, we were a close-knit family. We still are, but we needed to get out. Aichen is a widow who has eight children. 
Seven of her children died during the ongoing war in South Sudan. As a result, she was left with many orphans to take care of. Before the war, she was a peasant farmer. He cultivated and sustained her big family. What little they had has been lost. When the war broke out in her community, she and her family ran to save their lives, leaving all their belongings and livelihood behind. She doesn't know it, but she thinks her house has now been destroyed. Why have I told you these three provocative stories? Is it to make you pay attention or make you shed a tear, as I think I did when I wrote these? No, I think it's because this psalm is for the asylum seeker. This psalm is for those who seek refuge from addresses, those who yearn for the security and the stability, the strength that God can only give. This psalm is for the asylum seeker, the refugee, but for us as well. For us especially, does the psalmist write. The psalmist's experiences of life in crisis is one we may reference with, one we may resonate with. He prompts the big questions in life, the questions with which faith teeters on the edge of possible unbelief. And yet the psalmist come back, comes back with the undeniable answer of God is our strength and our refuge, a very present help in times of trouble, to rip another psalm off. The only source of true strength comes from this rock. So what is this psalm? It's one part trust and one part instruction. As for the part that is trust, the keynote is evident in the refrain. In verses 1 and 5, the psalmist repeats who his trust is in. As well as in the closing expression of confidence in God, he confesses that power belongs to God, not in himself. Steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord. Psalm 62 is then a poem of instruction on how to build this trust. It's always easier said than done, but the snippets of testimony that the psalmist offers are to help us. There are multiple genres in work at this psalm which suggests that the psalmist does all it takes to try and get across what he wants to say. Different people learn in different styles. Some learn from lectures, some from seminars, some from preaching, and some from asking loads and loads of annoying questions, like me in Anthony's classes at college. In Psalm 62, one finds lament, praise, thanksgiving, wisdom, and exhortation. Most interesting is the variation in parts of the speech that he uses. 
He doesn't cling to one genre for long, but moves on swiftly. But what is significant is the psalmist's use of person language. He swaps from addressing God to addressing the people, to God, then people, then God, in a way that seems that he might be challenging God and saying that God is assaulting him. Perhaps he believed that. Or perhaps he goes from a direct speech to God to a direct address to the people, to then speaking about people in the light of who God is, to a direct address to the people, to then God, and then a direct address to God. That's a bit confusing. However, what the psalmist wants to get across is this. God is not just a breath of wind. He's not just here today and gone tomorrow. He's here for the long haul. He's here to be the stop button on your treadmill so you don't get catapulted across the room, as I did see what someone in the gym once do. There are elements of other wisdom literature here. In verse 9 and 11, the word Hebel, which is translated as breath, is what Ecclesiastes translates as meaningless. Meaningless, 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 says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. It can also be translated as vanity, vapor, and breath. What the teacher says, and the psalmist echoes, is that life is just chasing after one thing and the next. But you need to find the thing to pin your hope to. The one thing that can give you strength. The parallelism in verse 11, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, is akin to the wisdom literature then found in Proverbs. Proverbs 30, if you have a Bible. So far, the psalmist has woven together this confusing uh, genres of psalm, committed with a dodgy uh, theology, if we say, or a, a swapping language. He's gone from a personal experience of God, a personal experience of the trust to the exhortation and instruction for people to do the same. It's not just enough for us to seek refuge in the world. We need to seek refuge in the church and in him. God's steadfast love that solidly undergirds all that has come before, one could not exclaim God as one's without one's love. One could not proclaim that God is the only refuge without God's love. One could not exhort others to give up their delusional and vain dependencies without God's love. One could not advocate the reliance that one does on God alone as the person who saves and all refuge and hope is in without his love. The final prayer that the psalmist gives is one that points to God's steadfast love, which he inherently connects with strength. 
the famous baseball catcher, Yogi Berra, is reputed to once have quipped, you can observe a lot just by watching. Perhaps this is true more than in baseball than ministry. Perhaps we in ministry can learn a lot just by watching. When it comes to Psalm 62, the careful reader might observe a repetitive word. The psalmist seems to like the word alone, one which we will sing later. The Hebrew word is a particle called ak. It occurs six times in this short poem, which actually constitutes a quarter of its uses in the entire psalmist. Psalmist, psalm, the collection of psalms. I can't remember the word, it's gone. Um, such a reader may notice that this appears in verses 1 to 2, and then 4 to 6, and then again in 9. This comparison illuminates that there's something that wants to be said here. If there's a concentration of usage in this one psalm, there's something about God's love and God's aloneness, our aloneness maybe in this world, our dependency upon God. In each case, the term begins a sentence. The term carries both a restrictive meaning, meaning only or alone, as well as an assertive meaning. Truly or indeed. Truly God is this. Indeed he is this. He is the only. He is alone this. The poem plays on this dual meaning as if the psalmist wasn't confusing enough already to make a double entendre between these two words. Most translations make a meal out of this. They mix and match the translations, while others just stick rigidly to one and miss the nuance of the meaning. The truth is that in the Hebrew, the term most likely has this sense of double meaning. At each point, it carries both senses of restrictiveness but also the other meaning of truly and indeed, linking back to our idea, our idea of truth. What does it mean to wait for God alone? What does it mean to wait for God indeed? I think it means to truly hope in God. And that means that one must hope only in God. That is our big faith lesson today. Big faith lesson conveyed by this small two-letter word that only occurs half a dozen times. The life of faith that we live is one of restrictive and assertive qualifications. 
one that is ever on a tightrope, feeling like we might topple one way or the other. Whether you've had an easy week or a hard week, you may have experienced this. The trust in the Lord, according to Israel's scriptures, both the Old Testament and our scriptures in the New Testament, means to trust in him alone. To truly hear that he is our God and he is only one. We have this one God and only one God. But moreover, to have only one God is to know exactly, precisely, definitively who we can trust. Our life is not split between belief. We know who we can go to for love, refuge, for strength and shelter. The one who puts his wings over us. Those who follow Abraham and Sarah's God are spared this confusion of those who either worship many or no gods. Whom shall we trust in this matter? Is the question they ask as they rummage around trying to work out what they, who they want to pray to. Those who follow our God trust in him alone and he fulfills his promises. The psalmist knows this from experience, knows this from when he was assaulted and tottered off his tightrope. And in fact, the psalmist knows that behind the type of faith that he commends, it, this poem lies a promise. A promise which was echoed by Moses after the exodus from out of Egypt. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has lifted up the lowly and has lifted up the downtrodden. All of us need friends, family, and community to rely on. And I am not above saying that I need them too. Sometimes more than ever. But sometimes they let us down. Hopefully not as much and as absolutely as the psalmist is let down. Perhaps our friends are praying against us that we may not toss them down off their tightropes. But it can be disillusioning. One may be tempted to lash out, to give up hope. Here is a text which shows the way out of such a predicament. Here and there is someone whom whose strength and power we can rely on completely. A God who is so beyond our human language that he is beyond our wildest thoughts and our dreams. Our Lord is reliable when all others fail us. From our experience and the Bible, we learn that this world and the people in it are unreliable. And yet, from our experience and the Bible, we also learn that God is a secure foundation upon whom to build. I pray that this comes to fruition in your lives.
Amen. And I'm going to pass back to Sarah to lead us in worship once more. <laughs>